Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I am Seth Greenberg, very bald. Jay Billis is extremely bald. LaFonso Ellis has a bald dome like no other. Leonard Hamilton actually gave us great razor blades, the head coach of Florida State, that keeps us bald. And Tom Izzo just doesn't want to admit, but he is going bald and rapidly due to a number of issues in college basketball. But, hey, moving along, uh, real quickly before we get into the main topics, uh, for both uh, Tom and Leonard, I say Jay Wright retired at age 60. What do you guys say? Oh, I'm sad and happy. Sad for our profession, sad for uh, uh, really one of the great guys uh, that has done it in an incredible way, in his own way. But I'm happy that he got to do it on his own uh, free will. And uh, as they say, he did it his way, as the song goes. And uh, you got to appreciate that. Well, Seth, I, my, my thoughts are these. Uh, Jace has a more of a balanced life than I do. I don't play golf. <laughs> I don't fish. I don't hunt. You know, so all, all I do is is work and, and, and I enjoy basketball. So, if I don't come out of the locker room and go sit on the other coach's bench by mistake because I don't know where I am, I'm going to continue to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Bills, you got to, I know you, I've seen a couple of your posts regarding uh, Jay Boy. It was a gut punch when I heard it. And uh, I heard it early on Wednesday, and I didn't think it was true when I found out it was. Uh, there was, uh, uh, like Tom says, a feeling of, of loss for the game. But at the same time, uh, when someone does what they want to do and it's their choice to move forward in another way, I was um, I felt good about um, the way he did it. And, you know, maybe it's my age, but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, everybody retired at age 60. And, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, when John Wooden retired, he was 65 and I thought he was the oldest man that ever lived. And, and so now people are going longer and, and vibrant longer. And that's, that's great. Uh, but it, it may not be for everybody to, to continue on uh, in the way they've been doing it. It's such a high stress job, but uh, um, you know, I still, I still feel like um, like it's a loss for the game. Uh, but I know he'll be involved and be around, and, but not having him in that position that we've come to know for the last 21 years, uh, it, it still feels like like loss. Yeah, I echo the same, uh, Jay. Feel, feels like loss uh, for me. I got a chance to know him when I would cover several of the games and I was calling him. And, and just the uh, spirit of excellence uh, that he was able to have uh, for such a long period of time. And obviously we know the two national championships and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll miss him a great deal. Roaming the sidelines. He's such a gentleman, but at the same time, um, you know, from afar, I understand how challenging and tough and rigorous this business can be. And for him, as both coaches have said, to go out on his own, to go out on his own terms, uh, I'm, I'm really happy for him and his family. You know, one thing yeah. about it, Seth, that I, I feel it's hard enough to recruit with this transfer and the NOI and, players going everywhere and all the things, but you, you, you never had a recruit against George Clooney, like uh, Leonard and I do. <laughs> so I'm glad his ass is out of here for that reason, to be honest with you. I'm hey, sick of my wife. Hey, Tom, be uh, very honest with you. I you know uh, 
my my wife always admired um, John, uh, uh, Clooney, and she didn't even know who he was. I I called him. I called him one day and said, "Listen, man, I don't know. Uh, my wife keeps talking about you. I hope you you and her don't have anything going on." And he laughed. He laughed. <laughs> If if, if all the good-looking guys have to quit so you guys can move up the good-looking ladder, there's going to be a long unemployment line. Like, how many guys have to quit where you're you're near the top of the ladder? I I think it's going to be a while. Leonard, you say you're going to coach forever. You you still got a lot of years before you catch Bayheim. I mean, mean, like, I mean, shoot. I mean, what are you, five years behind him? Six years behind him? I really don't know. But actually, I'm enjoying myself so much. You know, I I really feel – like I did when I was 35 and 40 years old. I, I don't sleep. I get up early. I go to bed late. Uh, I enjoy what I do, working with young people and helping them realize their dreams and seeing them grow to become uh, outstanding young men it really is, is refreshing to me. And I enjoy it, and I hope I can go as long as I can. I tell you what, if you don't sleep and you, you wake up early and go to sleep late, you look a lot better than Izzo, who does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any comment on that. (laughs) Come on, Leonard. You're my friend. (laughs) All right, let's get to it real quickly. State of college basketball, the environment that we're in, whether it's NIL or or whether it's the transfer portal, big picture, how difficult it is to maintain your program's culture and identity in the environment we're in today. You guys live it every single day. Well, Seth, I, I don't know where we're going. I'm more concerned about the future. If you if you remember years ago, we were we, we were really concentrating on APR and graduation rates, and we had guys lose their jobs, but and then couldn't go to the NCAA tournament because they 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 weren't handling their academic business, you know. And, and then we had the the limited phone calls. We had guys lose jobs because of the opportunity. They were calling too people too many kids too much. Now we can call as much as we want to. You know, we had guys lose their job because they violated rules in terms of maybe doing some things that were illegal. And now we can go out and, and their kids can make as much money as possible. It just seemed like to me, you know, we having a, 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 a something going on here. We got the, you have the, 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 the overtime league that kids can go right from high school. We got, now you can go from high school to the G league. Now we have the the NIL. That's that's really uh, you know we don't know where we're going. And for coaches, it's hard for us to really comment because we don't want to make people think that we don't want a kid who who are those guys who are elite. The elite athletes have the opportunity to realize their dream. You do it in acting. You do it in in arts. We do it in other areas. So we have to provide a, a path for them uh, to to those elite guys to be special. And, and, and now you have the transfer portal, whereas, you know, you can, you know, you can transfer and be legal. And, and the, the argument has been coaches can leave and go where they want to go, but the players are restricted. And when I look at that, I say, you know, you, just because the CEO at Chrysler leaves and takes a job at, at, at Chevrolet, that doesn't mean that all their all they people can leave too. You know, most of the time when you sign a contract, as a coach, you have a buyout or you have some restrictions. That no, that no longer exists. Kids can go where they want to, but coaches cannot push them out. My concern is that we have people who are emphasizing, more emphasis now on making money 
than he is on education. And the people who are making those decisions are educated. They, 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 they got the professional jobs and they, they, are, they want their children to be educated. But these elite athletes, somehow along the line, we're more concerned about the elite athletes going to have an opportunity maybe to be athletes, and we kind of not talking about education at all. And so I'm concerned as to where are we going. Uh, I, 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 it's hard for me to look into this crystal ball and see where we're going to be eight or nine years from now. But this all seems to be happening at the same time and is creating a lot of anxiety with most of us. Well, I, I feel the same way. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are making decisions for us that aren't in the basement with us. And if you aren't in the basement with you and you see how many kids, I mean, Leonard and I are on, on an organization, a, a panel, I guess, uh, that uh, we're trying to look at, at graduation rates. And minority graduation rates in basketball were down as low as 27% a couple of years ago. And we've done a hell of a job through summer schools, through better programs, to, and through us pushing um, of getting those kids up. Every one of you have gone to college. You know that if you transfer from one college to the other, you're going to lose credits. I am worried that we've devalued education completely. I'm also worried that we're teaching kids when the going gets tough. I mean, Judd Heathcote, my old boss, used to say every freshman's unhappy. I mean, Jay – uh, you know, uh, you know, Leonard, I don't know exactly where you played. There's no way in hell, Seth, you played anywhere. But for Jimmy Pons, you guys were probably 25, 30 point a game scorers. So your freshman year of college sucked anyway. Uh, you, no freshman is happy. And uh, we tried so many things to help. Remember, what Leonard's saying is true, but remember, our ultimate goal in life because we're not messing with the 1% that are going to the NBA. That's all that's going. And unless it's changed recently, that we add 30 more teams to the NBA. So our ultimate goal is not to get them to the NBA. That's the great players. But the 99% is to make the next 70 years better. Running from things like we are, I would add so many guys that left after their freshman year, it's scary. And I think we have a pretty good culture. So I'm worried about it, too, just like Leonard, and, and I think everybody should be. And I don't understand some of the arguments, but not wanting guys to get paid. Mm, you know, we're learning over the weekend that it's going to be ridiculous prices. That's one thing. But the transfer rule and teaching kids how to never fight through adversity, I think is going to be a major problem for them 10, 20, and 30 years down the road. What, what, what should we do going forward? Well, I think one thing, Jan, you and I have talked about it. My buddy Mariucci calls me in football. My buddies in the NBA call me and they said, you know, you're trying to make this like the NBA or NFL. I said, no, we're not. And the NFL and the NBA, they have contracts and salary caps. We don't have that. We have free agency like, like is nowhere in America to me. I mean, even if you're in a high-powered job and you leave that job, um, sometimes you have, you know, in your contract, you have no compete clauses. I mean, there's nothing like this. I mean, we can, we're signing a kid and we really don't know until he shows up from school if he's coming. And when he does, by the end of the semester, he can be leaving. Um, is it not fair? And I know that ar that argument bothers you. Uh, I think a good deal is a good deal for both parties 
So if we want to go to the pay the players and transfer when you want, like the NBA, like free agency, then we should have contracts, which I think you agree with. Then you're going to have unions and then you're going to have, and, and then you're going to see universities where you think they have a lot of money. I say you, because you and I have talked about it. You know, we're funding a lot of sports. We're funding title nine issues. We're funding in the big 10, 26 sports and the SEC, you know, I don't know where it is Leonard and the ACC, but SEC is mostly 16. We're funding a lot of sports. And uh, I think we're, we're arguing over like one or 2% of the people. I think 4% of college basketball players play beyond college, Europe, G league, Australia, Canada, making no money, 4% of them. And, and we're making rules, you know, that are for 4% instead of 96% in my humble opinion. Jay, my opinion is this, you actually, what, what, what we think it should look like. I think we need to all parties need to get together and let's have a discussion. See, right now we have a commission over here, a group over here. We got people in, in so many different areas. And I really believe that they all think that they're doing what's best for the, number one, the individuals, college basketball, professional basketball, G League, um, NIL, um, overtime league. I don't think anyone's trying to hurt anything. But we need to all get together so we can come up with some way. And then let's, we need to take some statistics. For instance, there are going to be 200 kids in the, in, 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 the, in the portal that won't get scholarships at all. So in five years, we're going to have 1,000 kids that transferred and could get a scholarship. Okay, we, can have, we might have, let's say, 65 or 70 kids that will be put their name in for the draft, have not graduated, that'll stay in the draft with no education. So after five or 10 years, you're going to have another 350 kids. And so, so and, and, and I don't mean to make this a racial issue, but 98% of those kids are African-Americans who are making those mistakes. And, and, and so we're talking about Black Lives Matter. Come on, man. I mean, we're we talking about kids being affected overall. Now, I'm for anybody who's elite having an opportunity. I don't have a problem with being paid. I don't have, I mean, I have, I have a problem with the philosophy because every state has a different rule. In other words, what they can do in Alabama, I can't do in Florida. And so we have everybody doing their own thing. I don't think that's what we want. That's the direction we want to go in. If, if we all were together and we all had the same rules, we all were dancing to the same beat of the drum, then I, I, we would all feel better. Now, I can't do some of the things other schools are doing. Matter of fact, I don't even know what everybody's doing. And right now, it's so confusing that I think people are just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing whether it sticks. And, and, and I, I've only had two kids not graduate in 20 years at Florida State that's been with me for four years. So I, I know what my education and my degree meant to me. When I graduated from school, my brother really went to school. He got his degree. He married somebody to go to school, went to school, and then his two kids graduated. You changed the whole culture of a yep. person's family. 100%. When you get your degree. And right now, it's all about transference, all about money, it's all about overtime league, it's all about one and done. And when we're losing the fact that education is still the best way for 98% of us to go. And there was a lot of little Hamilton's playing basketball. And if I don't get my degree, then my brothers don't get the degree, my sister don't go to school, and, and everybody, our cousins, our nieces, and everybody else. Now, what we're doing, we got kids going from high school. The 11th grade 
and they chasing money. And I am not against anybody making money, those elite ones. But we have so many kids chasing this, this, this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's no rainbow and there's no pot. You only got, you only got 30 kids at the most a year that's going to go to the NBA. And I'm, I'm being generous when I say 30. So I'm saying to you, if we all get together and we discuss it, do some statistical analysis on what's really going on over the last 15 and 20 years and how can we make this better for everybody, then that would make me happy. Let me, let me ask you this, and th- this is not a gotcha question. It's something I've been thinking about a lot, lot lately. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I, I had a, a long discussion with a conference commissioner recently, and, and he, he said something really interesting to me um, uh, and talked about uh, having some rationality. We need to get some rationality in the process with regard to players and, and the amount of money that they can be paid, things like that. And I really thought about it. It was it was an interesting point. And but what what I came back to was, you know, the origins of all this. And I thought about the rationality of running the business that we have now, this this multi-billion dollar sports business being run off college campuses. And I think we can all agree that that when when Fonz and I were in college, Seth, when you were in college and Tom and Leonard, when you guys got into coaching, the business was way different than it is now. We didn't have these multi-billion dollar TV contracts and we're playing nine o'clock games. Uh, It wasn't this sort of entertainment industry that it is now. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Um, When, when, when you think about, do we need to, do we need to rethink rather than worrying about NIL as much and, and transfer stuff, do we need to rethink the way we run the, the way these colleges run this business first what are your thoughts on that? Just that well, idea. Well, Jay, Jay, I think uh, Tom made the comment earlier. I guess you and him had some prior conversations. Do you realize there's only about 20 to 25 schools in America that, that make money from college sports? Do, do you realize that? Do you realize that most schools fund their athletic programs on in a deficit? Everybody's not making money. You're talking about billion-dollar contracts and billion-dollar entertainment. I'm trying to figure out where are we getting this picture that all this money is hanging out there where everybody can get money when that's not true. Most of the schools are barely making it, breaking even, and I'd say 75% of funded athletic departments are funded from student activity fees. That, that is true, Jay, and and – if you talk to those people, you know, I think sometimes we get so mad. I always say you get mad at the NCAA. We get mad at this and that. We get mad at people. But if you don't think 90% of us, and I know you do, really do care about the kids and, and what it brings, I'm, I'm still more worried about, like Leonard, not just academically either. But if I gave my kids a lot of money at – 17, 18 years old, I'm worried about where it it brings them in life. I mean, I used to love recruiting the inner city, the Mateen Cleaves of the world, because their goal in life is I'm going to work my way out of here. I'm going to make it for myself. But, you know, that chip on their shoulder is what made them so special. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm all for, like Leonard, pay the players. I wish we could pay them all something. I'm, I'm not for the minute the going gets tough, leave. And the problem is it's not the players that are doing it now. The parent, we've all monetized everything. Now we got lawyers and agents in, in this thing. 
It's not the kids that are making these decisions. I mean, I talked to a kid over the, a guy over the weekend, a couple of coaches, they didn't even talk to the kid or the parents. It was just the agent <laughs> with the deal. I mean, you think about that, how are you going to get a relationship? And my big thing with the transfer, where does a kid go? And, and you say we got to, you know, you, you might be right. We got to look at it differently. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on that. But we've looked at it, as they say about the pendulum, it swung so far the other side, we've lost sense of reality. And I just worry about what is it doing to these kids? I mean, name me some young kids that have made money. Go to the, you always say, entertainment. Go from the Michael Jacksons to the Lindsay Lohans to the, you know, you just look what happens when people at a very young age makes money and where do they end up? That's what I worry about because it doesn't matter to me. I mean, Leonard and I are at the twilight of average careers and we're going to move on, but, but we do care about the sport. That's why we're on these committees and boards. We do care about the kids. We do care about where basketball is going and where sports are going. And I, I'm, I'm so afraid that this thing is so out of perspective right now that a lot of good people are going to get out. There's already been a lot of people, and whether they admit the reason, we know the reason, you know the reason, and uh, I'm worried about it. So if the school's got to look at it differently, I agree. But maybe there's got to be a way, as Leonard says, where a good deal, as Judd said, is a good deal for me and a good deal for you. Well, maybe we went too long where it was a good deal strictly for the universities, even though I agree with them. Nobody has a surplus of money. But the other side of it is, now is it about the student-athlete, student-athlete, student-athlete? I don't think you'd treat your own son or daughter that way. I'm not as concerned about – I think we can find a way to, to, for kids to reap some benefits, Jay, some yeah. kind of way. Because, And I think i got to give the NCAA credit. The, the cost of attendance, I thought, helped tremendously when kids got me. I, I was really, really pleased with that. And, and, and I'm not, as coaches, the first thing will happen if we're saying, Tom and I, that we don't want kids making money, then they're, they're going, everybody's going to say, you don't want to go to school there because they don't want to make money. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think we believe that. But I just think that we have so many different things going on, Jay, that if we could all get together and sort it out, if we can put somebody on the moon, we ought to be able to work this out. You know what I mean? And I'm saying that, and then, we so many of us have opinions. That's why I'm a. I want to do research. I want to come with facts. I want to see how, what the over how, overall effect of not getting the education. What those kids are doing with their lives. What happens to the guys who get their education? Where should we be placing our emphasis? And now, the, the money has kind of taken over because that's a a point that everybody want to talk about. I'm not as concerned about the money in the NIL as much as I am the overall effect of what we're doing and how it affects basketball. I don't know if we shouldn't bring USA Today, NBA, college, high school, junior colleges, NAIA, sports people, coaches, uh, uh, lawyers, attorneys, politicians. Let's all get in a room. And let's work this out where we're not sitting here debating opinions. And I don't want to give my opinion 
specifically about anything because I know that can be damaging. Some people take what you say out of content. And I wanted to be on record as saying, I'm, I'm for kids getting paid some something. I'm not pro- I have a problem with that. I got a problem with us treating, you know, uh, okay, I got a, my nose is running over here, so I do this. My, my, my head's hurting over here, and I do this. Why don't we all get together and find out what the symptoms and where we're going? Because history will tell you a lot of the things that rules have been made they found out later on that didn't work. So let's try to eliminate some of those those oops that we did before and all get together. Well, I was just going to say, how do you balance, right? We, NIL came into play, which you guys both agree, it, it you know, makes sense. You want to see the players get something. And in one short year, NIL turned into basically pay for play. NIL turned into, we saw it this past weekend, I'm not going to mention the school, $400,000 a year and a car where you got a, a billionaire booster that's putting $20 million into a pot and say, we're going to go buy the best players. How, do you, how did NIL go from name, image, and likeness, which, which is what it was designed to, to just flat out collectives and pay for play? How do you find a balance in between those two things? Because they're so different. The concept Versus obviously the reality of how people most times you take a rule and you, you, you figure a gray area within the rule and, and maybe Jay, you can also help kind of bring it together because is there a legal aspect of that, that everyone can play under the same roof with the same rules, uh, but also find some type of balance between the two, because I agree with you guys, the players deserve something, but what's going on right now is absolute. And again, I'm an outsider now. I'm 10 years out. I'm an outsider. You guys are living it every day. It's absolute free agency, and and it's not healthy, in my opinion, to, to say we're going to do one thing. And, of course, what people do is they find a gray area and find a way to attack it in another direction. What, do you guys have any opinions on, on, on a solution to that? Because we went from zero to warp speed in, in <laughs> one year. Yeah. Well, I think that's what happens when you bring people who don't walk a mile in our shoes to the table. And you, when, you, when you bring in the politicians and you have these different commissions, they all mean well, but I can't all of a sudden go to Washington, D.C. and start making decisions. A bunch of coaches can't go up there and start telling them how to govern the United States. But we have, we, we got all these people meaning well. And that's why I'm back to what I said earlier. You're going to have this level of confusion. We don't have any rules. What they do in, in Idaho, they can't do in in Florida and vice versa. And, and so that was not thought out, well thought out. I mean, common sense didn't prevail when you go get people from other walks of life who have professions, they do what they do, and all of a sudden you give them six weeks, six months, a year, say, okay, now go straighten out college basketball. And without, without the experience that we have of, of being in the trenches. I just think that we're not going to solve this, Jay, and, 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 and Seth, unless we get everybody together and let's come up when we're all on the same page now and we walk out of the room saying, this is how, we, this is what it looks like. This is what we're going to do. And then we all singing out of the same hymn book right now, everybody's doing their own thing and you're going to have these situations pop up. I can't blame the people who are doing it because they're not breaking any rules. They're doing what the rules allow them to do. Jay, do you think that they could, uh, from a legal standpoint, I mean, what do you think the NFL and NBA would look like if every six months everybody was a free agent? 
Oh, it'd be a mess. Yeah, no, but but what? sort of from to Seth's question on the legal side, uh, I, you know, I, I think most observers would agree that for decades upon decades, you know, close to 70 years, you know, the, the NCAA operated essentially as a cartel limiting one class of person to expenses only, that being the athlete. And in any other business, that would be violative of federal antitrust law. And for a lot of, for a, a number of reasons on the legal side, most specifically the uh, 1984, uh, it's called the Board of Regents case, which allowed conferences to um, do their own media rights deals. Back in the day, the NCAA told conferences and school individual schools how often they could be on television. And the schools didn't like it. They sued the NCAA and they won. And there was language in that opinion that uh, was helpful to the NCAA in limiting athletes. And that was challenged. And the NCAA made a decision because they didn't like a lower court ruling. They were going to take it to the Supreme Court. And they lost nine to nothing. And now the, the, the loss itself didn't say that athletes had to be paid. But what it did was indicate that if in the future, any restrictions that the NCAA put on, you know, put on athletes were going to be, it could be challenged in court and the NCAA was going to lose. So that's why there are no NIL rules. The NCAA is afraid to put in rules that are going to restrict athletes. And the, the best hope they have uh, in their minds is to go to Congress and hope that Congress gives the NCAA a national standard, uh, a, a federal law that preempts all these different state laws. I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, what I what I think is the best hope for the NCAA if they want to, you know, have uh, guidelines or some what they call rationality to to have w what Seth is calling a balance is there's going to have to be something cat you know not catastrophic but something that shocks the system so much that Congress jumps in. Like if the Power Five broke away and started their own tournament and upended everything we know college sports to be and left out a whole bunch of smaller universities, um, then Congress might jump in and, and, and provide some sort of federal law. But absent that, the NCAA is floundering because they're afraid. It, it, they get hit with another lawsuit and they're, they're getting sued right now over it. Um, the damages are going to be substantial. And, and in antitrust, not to belabor this, but the, the damages are tripled. They call them treble damages. So they're tripled. And, uh, and that's, they're afraid of that. And that's, that's why we have no rules right now, because they're afraid, they're afraid to put in rules that limit athletes. So in general, like Alfonso, I'd ask you this too. Do you think that, think of your own kids now that, that let's go to the transfer rule. Do you think that that's good for kids to be able no, to? I was actually, it's funny that you say that, Coach, because I was actually going to ask you guys the other side of that is I, I thought that it's too wide open. It doesn't really have a start date and an end date, which puts both sides in flux with regard to, you know, coaches trying to figure out what their rosters are going to be and kids just being able to jump. And I've said this to my guys before. As you guys know, I was academically ineligible twice uh, at, at Notre Dame and given my mindset at that time, uh, I want to stay and fight it out and fight it through and, and, and figure it out. Right. And you didn't have those. I would have been, in fact, Tom, I would have been eligible. I could have gone to play for you or gone to play for coach ham because I was eligible 
uh, with regard to the NCAA. I was ineligible with regard to Notre Dame's uh, academic rules and their structure on campus. And I, I look back and felt like it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And part of that was, you know, I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois, so and grew up in poverty. So I understand that fight and, and what goes along with that. But having been smacked in the face twice and not able to play and let my teammates down, my coaches down, uh, what was in front of me, I felt that put me in a great spot going into the league, which is hard because you're an independent contractor and trying to figure all that stuff out. And then after two really good years, I missed my entire third season with the two knee injuries. I missed half of my fourth season with um, with the same deal. And then my fifth season, 10th in the league in scoring with – a lot of money on the table. I rupture my Achilles tendon, right? For most people, that would lead to probably the rest of their lives been in some form of depression. But having gone through the hardships that I went through at Notre Dame growing up the way that I did, I felt that that prepared me to be able to handle uh, what was going on then because, of course, your life flashes before you because it takes away your ability to be able to provide for your family, my wife and my kids and the rest of my family and be able to help others. So I'm not big time in favor. I, I So I understand the transfer rule uh, and, and why it could be beneficial for kids. I just don't like the willy-nilly-ness of it where you can just transfer anytime you want to because I do feel it sends the wrong message to young people that when things get hot, you can just bail. So you get married, things get hot, you're just going to jump out. You have a kid, things get hot, you're just going to jump out. Things don't go, don't go well at work, <laughs> you're just going to jump. I, I just think that's a bad precedent for – college which supposed to be an institution that's preparing young people for the next 40 50 60 years of their lives boy you could play for me i, I that that was said about as well as it it would be I, that's what i look at every day you know am i helping a guy prepare for the next 70 and that sounds kind of corny and it sounds kind of you know pollyanny but it's really not and i and i do believe i am a hundred percent like leonard Give guys some money. I, you know, I, what we do with that, I don't know. But it, does it get to the levels of ridiculousness? And would any corporation, as Jay says, we're a business, would you be able – is that a good business model, what we're doing? And is are we teaching kids what happens the day that 96% of them never play again? Are they going to be saying – where's my 50 bucks for my cameo uh, happy birthday to Fonzo Ellis? And what are we teaching them, you know? And, and what is college for? You know, you say that, Jay, we're going into high schools now. Are we going to teach? If I was worried about the kid, I'm, I'm fine with this because I think you can get through to kids. It's the people influencing, the influencers are the people that I say we got to keep the double Ds away from our kids dirtbags and distractions. And I think we're bringing them into the fold instead of getting them out of the fold, if that makes any sense. So I think Leonard and I are on the same page. I, I don't say this, Leonard, we're from completely different areas, but I really believe it's all about the kids and it's all about how I'd raise my own kids, how you sound like you're raising yours. If you didn't go through that, where would you be? And uh, I look at some of my guys and, I'm so proud of what they've done after basketball that never played. And uh, I don't think you do that if you learn how to quit the minute there's some adversity, Jay. I just don't believe that. I know what I've been through. I was 30 making nothing. And uh, I, 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 that's 
I'm like Jay hey, right in that. I just hey, hey, Tom, just curious, what you and Coach Ham, what, what, given that the transfer portal is not going anywhere, just from a coach's standpoint, I would love to know your thoughts on what would be an ideal start day and close day for the portal. Well, I was talking to someone the other day, and um, they said they gave a, a date after the National Love Intent date is. So I'm saying, how do we make it equitable for everyone? How do we give kids an opportunity if they want to transfer and leave, but let you know so that you can recover? You know, if April the 15th is National Love Intent Day. So if he doesn't tell me to, to May, then what do I do? And and so, but but still, fellas, we can easily come to some better understanding if we go back and look at the the number of kids that are adversely affected by the rules that govern what how we govern ourselves. Now, the two hundred and fifty or three hundred kids who won't go put their name in the in the portal and won't have anywhere to go. What are they going to do with their lives now? How are they going to pay for their education? I emphasized earlier the number of kids that maybe might be in overtime, lead to 25 or 30 kids that maybe might not ever play in the NBA. The number ones that are, are, are chasing the NBA who keep the name in, in the pot there. So, I mean, do we let them come back? I mean, how, what do we do? You know, I'm just I'm saying. a high school kid that that's not getting offered one because everyone's recruiting a portal oh, before, because before they recruit a high school kid. That is all time low because yeah. the variance with you right now, I want to. I, I have a base of a young team coming back next year, so I'm looking to bring in three guys in the portal. Now, okay. I'm not even thinking about high school kids for at, in that position because I need a little more maturity on my team. I, I'm not real sure that's the direction we want to go in. I'm not real sure that's healthy for the overall betterment of, of basketball. But I'm put in a situation where it's available. I'm not breaking any rules, so I need to. I need to be more aware, and I probably you know, was not necessarily interested in the portal, but now I'm looking at what people are doing and wow. I mean, how do you pass up a 19, 20 year old kid for a 17, 18 year old kid that can immediately come in and help you? I I don't think that's good overall, but now we all are going by the rules that we're dealing with. I'd like to answer that too, because I think what he said is true. We don't talk about the failures. Everybody talks about the LeBrons that made it coming out. We don't talk about, I mean, I've had kids that have come out early and failed and maybe one more year, you know, would have really helped them. I mean, I always tell a guy, the goal is not to get there the fastest to get there with some staying power. And I don't know if kids are ready. I think there's a lot of kids physically, even physically ready for the NBA. Like miles bridges for me was a kid physically ready in 11th grade for the NBA, physically. <laughs> no, I mean, I taught him how to jump, too, LaFonso. I would have helped you on that. I might have, <laughs> but, I, but I look at that, and how many kids are mentally ready for the grind that, I guess on this, Jay did a little bit, you did a long time. That league's a grind mentally, right? How many yes. guys are mature enough to handle that? Because they don't get to go to the coach's office in the NBA and talk to them for two hours, like behind here. They don't get to do that. They don't have somebody caring about them. It is a total business. If I'm afraid, Jay, that's what we're going to get to. And I'll, I'll end it by saying this. For two, three years, players are going to not only leave coaches, 
But what about the the receiver that needs the quarterback? And all of a sudden, the quarterback's gone. It affects other players on your teams. And, I, and I'm afraid that they're going to leave, you know, coaches. Are those guys going to help them later on in life? When What school do they go to when they've transferred to four different schools? Who do they go back to for help? They go to Leonard Hamilton? Or did he transfer to Tom Izzo? Or did he transfer to, hopefully not Seth Greenberg, but, I mean, sometimes they're going to have to have somebody to come back to. And I worry about that a lot. This may be this may be a, a difficult question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Tom, you mentioned you know early in your coaching career, if you were a 25 year old coach now, uh, deciding where to take your coaching career, how would you look at this this current landscape and make a decision on whether you wanted to coach in college at this level? What what, what do you think you would be calculating in making a career decision now in coaching? Well, I'd do just like Lafonso did. You know, I'd start worrying about my own family sooner or later, you know, and the stability of this, because if we got outside people, which we weren't even allowed to use, and now we're saying, we can't tell you how much you can make, but uh, Mike Garland over here is a, a big donor. He can tell you. We're getting into that. Those guys are going to want us fired if you don't win. I, I look at the SEC. This is a great thing that I thought about. You know, my good friend Nick Saban is there, okay? We started here together. So in the SEC, you got Alabama, you got Georgia, big-time program, LSU, Texas A&M. I'm talking football now. Big programs. Then you got Florida, Tennessee, Auburn. You know, we're getting up to eight or nine. I don't care how much we pay anybody. Someone's going to finish first, and someone's going to finish ninth. And – how are people going to deal with that? So what I'm worried about is right now players are going to leave coaches for a couple of years. Then coaches are going to start saying, you know what? We got this soft bar, uh, Denzel Valentine. If I keep with him, he's going to become a player, Draymond Green, whoever. But I think I'm going to leave him, like Leonard said, and go get this senior because I got to win right now. So you kind of look at the players are kind of leaving the coaches. Now are the, are we going to get to the point where the coaches start leaving the players and are these younger guys going to have to fight for their jobs? And Leonard and I don't have to, we can retire and he'll go fishing. I'll go golfing and we'll be happy, you know, but that's not going to be the way it is. And I'm afraid that kids are going to start doing that to the players. And that's not what Leonard Hamilton and I do. I promise you guys that. And Coach is, I think it breeds – I think the way the system's set up right now, it kind of breeds that because I know of a few situations even right now where you had a kid who's a freshman showing promise, was likely going to be the lead guy going in. Team doesn't make it to the NCAA tournament after having been there before. Now all of a sudden, Coach is feeling some pressure. Now they just recruited over that kid <laughs> to bring in another kid who's a dynamic guard. What does that kid do? Turns right around the next day and goes in the portal. It is I've not never good. gotten rid of a kid. <laughs> I mean, I've made my mistakes, guys. Yeah, Trust yeah. Me. I mean, I've had a couple kids that couldn't play dead in a cowboy movie. Okay, <laughs> and and I just said, you know what? That's my mistake. I'll try to help him get somewhere. He doesn't want to. He's staying. That's not going to happen anymore, guys. Nope. Not going to happen. It. And I've that's going to be a shame for the kids, if you ask me. And we're back to what Leonard said. If we don't recruit high school kids, if, if like somebody brought up in our committee that instead of 13 scholarship 
everybody but Leonard's only having 10 or 11. Leonard has 13 because he plays all 13, but, and I <laughs> admire that. But I'm saying, so you got two less on each team, 350 teams, that's 700 kids that aren't going to get recruited out of high school. And that means a lot of minority kids because 80% of our teams are. And I think that hurts their education. And I, and then our graduation rates go back down and you got problems. So again, it's more for the kids than you guys think. Jay, Jay, you know, in our society, in order for something to be important, that's the issue, it has to be important to somebody who is important. And right now with all these issues that we're talking about, no one has said, let's, let's all get together and make this important right now. I feel like I saw I, when I was a kid growing up, you know, there's they always talking about putting a, your finger in the dike where you got a dam, you have a dam and you get leaking over here and it's leaking over here. It's leaking over here. Sooner or later you run out of fingers. And I'm saying to you, we are talking about a, a plethora of things now, but so, so we can't concentrate on one particular thing now that's going on in college athletics because it's all over the place. But, but no one seems to say, I'm going to take the bull by the horn and I'm going to bring everybody together and this, let's solve this. And right now, my concern is where we're going, what the future's going to hold because we, we, <laughs> Seth, you remember we had to, how many times have the academic issues changed over the years? And oh my some God. Of the, some of the rules and regulations have changed and I expect some of these rules that we've given now to change. We don't have to be that way. We're too smart. We got too many intelligent people. But but when I get people making rules and regulations that don't emphasize what can we do to make sure our kids get our education, and 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 the elite players need to have a pathway to realize their dreams. But everybody's not elite. And see now, and what we are doing, we're making everybody to think that we have an elite and they're elite. And then we say, let me give you a, a J, for instance. Okay, now I'm not criticizing the NBA, but this is one thing that we need to talk about. I think that the NBA allows people that, what time of the year do they let you know who's being invited to Chicago? When is that date? It's coming it's up. It's, it's, yeah, late April. Okay, now, so what do you know in late April that you don't know April the 1st? Mm-hmm. I mean, what? Well, the game, the season's over, everybody got a plethora of, of, of NIL, I mean, not NIL, uh, an, uh, analytics. You have scouts all over the place, all our games on TV. Would it help if they had, if they let kids know on April the 1st that you've been invited to Chicago? That means now the other guys who are thinking that they're elite, if they're not invited, that might send a message that maybe I should not waste my time through the season over getting trainers and visiting with agents and, and now trying to make myself available to go get uh, feedback. You know, I mean, what I'm asking you, if you watch all my games, you come to all my practices and they're all on TV, can you not give me some feedback? But now when I talk to the NBA people, they say, we can't until we know who's going to put their name in for the draft we can't make a decision where do you think we can get together and figure out maybe another way we can make that work where it doesn't negatively affect everybody. My, my point to you, things like that, we could get in the room together and we could work out something that's equitable for everybody because the NBA don't want to be dealing with a whole lot of guys who can't make it anyway. 
you know, it's funny you say that, Leonard. There, there was uh, 10, 12 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh, Nike was the one that started. They, it, it was a basketball summit. And all the, all the constituencies that you're talking about, the NBA, David Stern was in the room. Miles Brand was the president of the NCAA at the time, was in the room. The head of the Players Association. Uh, the high school associations were, were in the room. I was there. Uh, there, there, were, I, there must have been 30 people in the room. It was a, uh, an all-day lengthy meeting. I went back a couple of years ago, and I looked at the agenda and the notes that I took from it. And that group talked about everything with a couple of exceptions, everything that we're talking about right now, everything. And because there was nobody on the NCAA side in charge that could make a decision, nothing went anywhere. And, and I think structurally we have some of the same problems now is how do we make a decision? I mean, you guys sit on some of the same committees I do. I've, I've been on the competition committee and they're great people. I mean, great people. But God, making a decision, uh, and we're just talking about rules of play, like like changing the shot clock from thirty five to thirty. You thought we were climbing Mount Everest. It took forever to get it done, and uh, and the, the other stuff we want to do, we can't get done. Um, it, it, the the structure of this is maddening, and uh, and I don't I don't know the answer to that. That's the one that has me puzzled. Is is your suggestion to get everybody in a room is a fabulous one. But once everybody's in the room, after we discuss this, how, how's the decision going to get made? I, I just don't know. I don't know how to fix that one. Don't you think most of the decisions, though, Jay, are um, we don't want to get sued? I mean, that and, and you know what? I had a, a big time commissioner say to me, everybody's getting sued. You're always going to be lawsuits. It's not going to change. So I think we've kind of completely run from the lawsuit thing. And that's the problem when everybody's going to get sued. I mean, uh, if somebody falls in front of your house, it's not your fault. If it's on your property, they're suing you, right? I mean, that's the way it is now. And I, I think that's why some decisions aren't made, Jay, because everybody's so paranoid of the word lawsuit. And okay. is that, um, what does the NBA and NFL do? I mean, do you think we could have contracts? Do you think we could have unions in college? I, I think I think we could have contracts, and I think that I, I mean I've said well, for a long time that unions would come in, and then we'd have. I'm I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying those are problems. And and what is the process? Isn't the process to go to elementary school? Um, again, Leonard hit the nail on the head. The elite guys. Jay Wright said this two years ago on our committees. They should be able to go right out of high school, go. But the process, I mean, I think of some of my best pros. I mean, Draymond right now, as a freshman and sophomore, he hardly played. You know, there's no process anymore. You go from elementary school to junior high to high school, and if we're going to be messing with those kids and we're going to give 15-year-olds money now and things, I mean, if it was the elite of the elite, we could we could handle them. If it's everybody who plays. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Jay. Um, and I was my first. I first started out at Austin P State University, and I remember that was my first job. We played Kentucky in the NCAA tournament to 106, 103, I believe, overtime game. You know, that's how I met Joe Hall, and I got my job. 
uh, Austin P's contract would not have been what Kentucky's contract is. So how do we keep it equitable if we have a contract? And I'm saying to you, Austin P, we had the seat, the, the red bond seat, 3000, the football stadium might have seated maybe 10. So where are they going to get the money to compete with Vanderbilt and University of Tennessee? I mean, where not where Leonard? They, they they're not, and Austin okay, so, P has has never been able to. It's 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 those look the power fives eventually gonna break. Like we're talking eventually. I think Swarbrick said this yesterday. Eventually, the power five is going to break off. When they break off, I think a lot of things that you guys are talking about will have some common. There's no commonality within the, the membership of Division One. I think that's also one of the problems, though. But but, 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 but I'm saying to you. How do you keep it? You saying it's not going to be equitable. What you're saying is it's not going to be a level playing field right. in Division One because and what I've, I've worked at schools that didn't always have enough money in relation to where they are, where they're located, the industry they didn't have the industry or you know, the the medical, the technology, the insurance, the banking. They're in areas of the country where they don't have that. So so I, I, we got to come up with a way if, if we're going to take care of the kids. You know, like if you have this, uh, everybody do the same thing. Everybody come up with the same way. Maybe you increase your budget, and that becomes part of the deal. But when we all are operating on different wavelengths and we all, you know, all over the place, I, I don't know how we keep the, the equality uh, in, in, in college sports, or is, is that important? And is, well, one, is of, it, one of the ways, like to your point, one of the ways that that some of these things could be accomplished with regard to equity is have revenue sharing. But the big conferences aren't going to share their revenue with everybody right. else. And that, that's becoming that's that's going to be the issue that that breaks the power five away if right. if and when that that indeed happens. And but it, it's like to Tom's point about and I think I think, Tom, you're right about, you know, fear of of lawsuits and all that stuff. You know, one thing that that I've thought about a lot is, you know, Division Two isn't being sued, and they're not being sued because there's not as much money in the game. And you know, we made all these, and I say we, but the 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 industry made all these decisions in the past thirty years since 1984, or it's longer than that, but 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 since 1984, made all these decisions to, you know, chase revenue. And, and, you know, the, the, the athletic programs that we all, that we cover and you guys work in are vastly different now than they were 20 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And that's, that's part of the issue is we're in a different landscape in that regard, that, that everything's changed in a drastic fashion since 1984, since that Board of Regents case. But, you know, it, it's almost like we thought that, it, that, that, the players were never going to, or people on behalf of the players were never going to ask for more. And I, I always felt that was inevitable. Um, but now that it's happened and now that the NCAA mismanaged the whole Alston case and, and, and got reamed at the, at the Supreme court level, it, it threw everything in flux in that, in that space. And we've got a, we're going to have an uncomfortable time period for us in order to figure this out. But the lack of leadership on the NCAA front is really uh, apparent now because of the structure of things. It's not that the people aren't good people. They're great people, but, but we, we got a real problem in decision-making and leadership structure that, that uh, the business is going to determine the answer and not, not the academic side. And like, like we've always had in the past, it's, it's, it's really a weird is that, time. Is that going to be right though, because we have a, 
I, I agree with maybe there's lack of leadership. I don't know that. I mean, I, I got my own opinion. You got yours. I mean, I think it's a tough deal. But we've made it so sitting out a year, giving a kid another free year of education, which a lot of the guys in college need mm-hmm. to grow up, to mature, to get to be a better player. I, I redshirted two guys that ended up making $70, $80 million in pro ball. They wouldn't have made it if they only had four years. We've made it like it's a punishment, and it's it's a plus. I mean, again, we're, we're 96% or 7% aren't going to play basketball anyway, and I don't know why we've made that such a, a punishment and why we've made it look bad, like, you shouldn't have to sit out. You shouldn't have to do this and that. It used to be a, a plus. We're giving a kid edge. If someone wants to give my kid, get him off the ISO scholarship and put him on another scholarship, I, I mean, I, I think that's a plus for 90% of the kids, 95. I think Leonard's right. The system has caused some of these guys to live in Disney World because there's 450 guys in the NBA. A couple of you guys have been lucky enough to get there. Our guys think it's a rite of passage. It's a tough deal to get into that. I mean, and and now we got the G League and the two ways, and and those are enticing, but there's still not that many guys making it. I think Leonard's right. He says 30. I think he might be stretching it. When you think of Americans, um, 30 would be a max number, and, and we keep having 280 kids put their names in it's so out of whack because coaches have no say anymore. If I tell a kid he should stay in because 30 teams tell me and some agents telling them I can get you drafted. That kid's going with the agent. I mean, I, it doesn't make or break me. I've lost kids. I'm going to still be good. I might not be great, but I'm going to be good. It's not hurting me, but it is hurting the kids that don't make it. And I think one of the problems we don't talk about enough the data that Leonard's talking about. Who has failed? And when you say four or five years, you know, it's going to take that to balance this out. How many good kids are we losing in those four or five years? Mm-hmm. They don't get it back. They live the next 70 in poverty or in a bad way because they've made bad decisions. Do you really think there's that many coaches? And maybe there are. Maybe I'm naive that don't give a damn about these kids. I don't believe that, man. As a parent, I don't believe that. And that's what everybody's portraying about us. Well, I hope those people who push that, those rules in, I hope they're taking a bow and they feel good about what they have created. Um, I'm not real sure if there were a lot of college coaches on that committee. If there were, I'd like to, I'm sure they're having, they're second guessing themselves now. Uh, as to ha- how that how that happened, um, I'm I'm just I'm I, I'm just gonna keep trying to do what I think is right, but I, I don't know Jay unless we have the Jay Billis Commission Consortium where you we invite everybody in. It's got to be somebody that see the direction we're going and see how can we bring it back into some type of reasonable position. It's not, it's not the money. It's not the NIL. It's not the G league. It's all things. And I just think that none of us intend for it to be in this direction, but the way we govern ourselves, like you said earlier, and how we come to these decisions, 
is 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 challenged, and everybody means the right way. So, uh, I mean, I always thought <laughs> that they always had the NCAA meetings in January, where all the co- college coaches we in the middle of our season, but so we we don't get a chance to participate. But that was the why can't we all have a meeting in June when we're not playing, where it's mandatory that football, basketball, baseball, everybody be at one place at one time. We have a delegation where we come. Do we see what we're doing and what works for for everybody? But I don't think we we have those types of focuses. We just we get a we get people from universities and different that don't necessarily work as athletics, and they come together. And they make rules and regulations that govern what we do. And sometimes the guys in the trenches don't have a whole lot of input. That's one reason why, Leonard, that's a great point among the many great points that both of you have made. One thing I would suggest is because, and I've told Tom this, because both of you make these passionate arguments uh, that are based upon principle, and that, that's really meaningful to me is how principle based your, your arguments are. I, I would suggest that that if any lawmaker on Capitol Hill invites you up, uh, that you go because they need to hear this from you. Um, they hear from administrators and I, I don't know how effective it is, honestly. Um, I, I, I'd rather I, I'm moved when I hear it from you. And, uh, and so if that, if that ever happens, I, I, I would, I would suggest you go because it, it, your voice is needed in, in this space. Can, can I say this Seth before, cause I yeah. don't know how much longer you got, but I, this is important to me. I, I'd agree with that on, on you, Jay. And I, I just don't think we'll get invited, but of all of us here, the guy that said the least, I, I really respect what you said, Alfonso, because First of all, you threw yourself under the bus. I was ineligible twice. I think lawmakers need to hear from the guy who's really gone through it because we have our own agendas. Everybody thinks coaches are bad guys that, I mean, if we talk in those meetings, I'm on on every committee known to man in the 20 years. And I I feel the same frustration with the NCAA. But what, what Zoe said was so good because he said, look what it did to me then. I hung in there. Now I've learned to hang in there when your wife wants you to take the garbage out. You want to tell her to take a leap. <laughs> when On a couch. When your kids come home <laughs> and want to quit whatever sport or whatever thing they're in, you, you can give them that story. You are a real living example of what it's like to go through things. And I think more of our kids that I've coached are like you. I don't think a lot of kids would have graduated from college if it wasn't for Mike Garland and I bird dogging them every day. I don't want to. And but now, if you bird dog them, they're going to leave because they want to go to line of least resistance. They're like water. They're going to find the lowest level, and we're no different. If 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 everybody would tell you. You can do this, Tom, this, Tom, this, Tom, this, Tom. And it was not necessarily good, but it it sounded good. We'd all sign up for that. You know, I I think what you said of all of us, I didn't live that. I wasn't ineligible. I wasn't from the inner city. 
I wasn't rich, but I wasn't poor. I, or I was more poor. I didn't have a chance to go to the NBA, but I think learning the lessons I learned and being raised like I was, and if my old man, if I would have said I was going to quit or transfer, <laughs> he'd have kicked my ass. Right. Well, I didn't Jay, turn up so bad. Jay, let me ask you this. Um, you have a world-class cross-country runner that's the best in the country, not on TV, not exposed, the name not in the front page of the USA Today paper, but they are better at their profession. I mean, they're a sport than the quarterback is on Saturday. They deserve more NIL because they're a world class. How, how do you justify this person getting this and that person getting nothing? I mean, you have seven, 800 athletes on campus and, and, and how do you, is that a concern? Is that a concern that, that we should be concerned about, or that's just the American way, and we don't worry about it. What's your thoughts on those? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. I mean, you know, the easy answer for me would be it's the same analysis as why you pay the basketball coach more than you pay the track coach when the track coach may be more successful or a better coach than the basketball coach. In just as an example. Uh, or why why we pay entertainers, why entertainers make more than firefighters or doctors or nurses, whatever it may be, who do more profound, they are soldiers, more profound things to help society. I don't know the right answer there. Um, all, all, I, all I know is, is, you know, things have changed so much from the time when I was a player. Uh, college sports doesn't resemble the, the game I played. And, you know, we, we didn't have the, we didn't spend money like these programs spend. And, and Leonard, to your point earlier about, you know, that there, there are only 25 programs that, that actually make money at the end of the year that, that are, are in the, in the black. Um, what, you know, my, my thing on that is, is, you know, we, we've had revenue skyrocket where you've got hundred million dollar athletic departments in annual revenues. And, spending magically went up to the same level everywhere. I, you know, I, I, I think we have a crazy system and, and it's a, it's in part a crazy business from the beginning. And that's why we're here now is because there was no way for this amount of time uh, with, with this big a business to cut the players out of it and keep them at the level they were at. And it was mismanaged by, uh, by the leadership. They thought they could, could win some of these things. They punted on the transfer issue because it was making them look bad in court when they were fighting over money. That's why we have the transfer situation we have now, um, because all the points that both of you have made are valid and important. But we, we've had a lot of bad decisions made in fighting over money and, and whether the players can get any. Um, and and Two rights make that's where we came in, in a way, in a way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not look, I'm not I don't like the transfer portal. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, I think the transfer issue should be based on principle and it has not been. And, and Tom, you and I have discussed this and we've agreed on some things different on others uh, all in a good way. But, you know, for all these years, the, the only transfer restriction on a player were in five sports, you know, football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and hockey, everybody else could transfer and be eligible right away. And the, the, the NCAA couldn't justify that 
in, in court because it wasn't based on principle. It was based on retention of the athletes they really wanted to make them money. And uh, when they punted on that, uh, and then they lost on the money issue, they didn't expect to lose. They should have, but they didn't expect to lose. And now we have uh, no, no real rules because Seth's point is a good one. Like, you know, NIL was supposed to be one thing and it morphed into another because there's no way to contain, there's no way to separate somebody's name, image, and likeness from their athletic ability. That, that, that's impossible. And there is no way to stop the flow of money in this kind of business. There's a, it's like that movie Jurassic Park when Jeff Goldblum says, you know, life finds a way, um, money finds a way. And we're seeing it find a way right now. And, and I don't know the answer, but, but to Leonard's point, we better, we better get together and have, a, have some people who can make decisions actually do it. Uh, and until then, we're going to continue to, you know, down this road. Because the sad part is the unintended consequences, and we've seen this play out in life. I'm fifty, almost fifty-two now. The un, I'd like to think that the intentions behind it uh, were pure, but they didn't understand the unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences are going to be a ton of kids who have exhausted their eligibility with no ability to be able to go back and get an education. And you've heard, you know, Jay, I'm really passionate about that one. That's the part that that bothers me the most, and I think. We have to, in some way, and to your point, Jay, about leadership, I'm still waiting to see who that person would be in the room who could say, yes, this is the direction that we're going. But we have to understand that there is that elite group that you and all the coaches have talked and the coaches have talked about. But that other 94 percent, we've got to have a model in place to make sure that these kids are on a path to being able to graduate with meaningful degrees while being able to use the resources that we have as uh, athletic departments and universities connect these kids with mentors that can help them in the process. I think absent that, we've gotten away from uh, the foundations of what college athletics was really about, and that concerns me. Here's one thing, you guys, you're talking about bringing people together, all the shareholders together. And you got to understand every shareholder has their own agenda. The NBA has their own agenda, whether you, you realize it or not, you know, overtime elite has their own agenda, whether you realize it or not. And quite honestly, within division one, there's 357 teams that play division one basketball. Let's face it. The power fives plus, you know, the teams that conduct their business that way have one agenda. And obviously the other 200 schools have their own. agenda. I, I think until you try to figure out, all right, You've got to get some type of commonality because you're not going to be able to make rules that across the board are going to fit everyone. It's just, it's impossible to do that. But the intention, the intention has to be, we talk about student-athlete welfare. Jay, you said like if the NFL and the NBA had free agency every single year, it would be a disaster. We're in a disaster right now, right? Like what the solution, I don't know, but you know, it's kind of, I'm taking the words right out of your mouth. You said it would be a disaster. Well, the disasters are happening right now, and it's not going to affect Leonard and, and Tom and, and, and some coaches, except you'll see people leave. But what it is going to impact was in, is the constituents, the people that are actually living it. And we're, not, we're talking about our sport. How about, Leonard, those numbers you were throwing out, put that on football, put that on baseball, put that on, on other sports, because uh, let's face it, and, and you're going to have a, 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 a generation of kids that in a lot of ways we did, we, we failed them because we didn't lead them. We, we allowed them to lead themselves to a, a, a path of 
unrealistic expectation, entitlement, and and uh, like Tom said, I say it all the time, where where they think it's a rite of passage to get to the NBA or the NFL or the or Major League Baseball when that's the most exclusive club in the world. Instead of getting a path of like it used to be, use your education to open up doors, like Lafonso says. Create a mentor program so that you you have someone that can stand beside you to help you cross that bridge. Until we do those two things, those things, you know, bringing everyone together, I think, Leonard, is great, but we got to have some commonality of what we're trying to do. That's my only two cents. You guys are unbelievable. But yeah. Damn, you, you and Tom, I can't thank you guys enough for all your time. Uh, I mean, I, I know, especially with everything that's going on, you guys are in the middle of recruiting. You're trying to finish up your rosters. You know, you got 8,000 people pulling at you. You know, for you guys to give up an hour of your time to do this, uh, you know, I can't thank you guys enough. I really can't. Same here. Well, I, I think there's one thing that needs to be said that's been hanging here this whole time, and that is, uh, Izzo, you need to shave that crap on your head and join, <laughs> join the rest of us. You, you'd be much happier. You would actually look a lot better. And there'd be less time in the mirror in the morning. Like think of the time you'd save, you'd be able to go out on the road recruiting and, and you'd be free of all that, all that wisp you have up top. They asked Leonard, man, he he was the first guest on bald men on campus and look how it's gone. (laughs) You know, that razor blade blade is still working, brother. That that razor blade, that Gillette can't beat it. I know you got a deal. I know you got an NIL deal with them. Or as, or as Izzo says, NLI. It's life changing. Life changing. Hey, so, so can you, how about us getting a, a commercial on Gillette? Us for let, let's make the money. Tom don't need it. He rich enough. Hey, listen, and listen, and listen, you know, I think it's a great idea. We need to go Gillette, send them a proposal. Bomb hey, I'm, I'm in. I'm hey, in. Uh, now Jay's, the, Jay's the attorney. So let's let him go negotiate us a deal with Gillette. <laughs> no, as soon as, hey, as soon as you go Gillette, I'm going to call Schick and say, hey, I want more. <laughs> That's happening right now. <laughs> hey, can I say one more thing that I worry about for you guys? Yes. What's going to happen by next year when everybody puts their name in the portal because they're going to negotiate, you know, to the highest bidder? You know, I worry that nobody, I mean, I, I really see that happening. And, uh, and then the loyalty will not be the same. And, and you said about mentorship, I think, Zoe, you said it. Um, are we going to mentor kids? Because we all mentor kids once they're gone. I mean, I, I still talk to all my guys when they're gone. I think a lot of coaches do. And yeah. I, I just worry, uh, you know, I, I hope like Leonard, people don't think we don't want people paid. We don't want people to be able to transfer if things aren't right. But we do have a unique thing in our sport. You can leave any time to go to the pros. So if you're good enough, you can leave. How many transfer guys are, are NBA guys? They're not many. They don't. If they're leaving. They're not going to another school. They're going to the league. And it's still been difficult. So I just worry that these guys think that you get re-recruited and you get on there and – and it looks good. The grass isn't always greener, as they say, for us. I mean, Seth, your wife knows the grass is greener, but for the rest of us, the grass <laughs> is greener. And I, I hope you guys look at it from a standpoint like Leonard and I spent some time this weekend 
you know, we're not worried about our jobs. We're worried about the people we're impacting because some of them, I think of some guys that have called me back, some making a living, some making billions of dollars and give us credit for it. Is that going to happen later on? I don't know. Uh, Tom, I'm going to send you, we're going to send you uh, some some Gillette uh, shavers. We're that s- later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>